Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, let them hear the cry of your heart today. This is not for a person. This is not for a country. This is for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The praise that we utter out of our lips is not empty words because He fills time and space. There's nothing you can say to exaggerate how great of a God He is. But we try with the fruit of our lips, Lord, everything we are, everything that we do, it's all for you, Jesus. We praise you, Jesus. We worship you today, God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. It's all for him. It's all for him. Paul said, whatever you do in word and deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't assemble on a Sunday morning just because we need community. No, we gather together because it's all for him. Every song we sing, every word that is preached behind this pulpit, every action that comes on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday is not to build a name for ourselves. No, everything is for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I, I wish you would get a picture of that today. You were created to worship Him. He put free will inside of each of his, his creation, his created beings. And yes, you were made in the image and the likeness, but you can choose whether or not you will come in on a Sunday morning and say, God, this is all for you. Hallelujah, Jesus. We praise you today, God. We worship you today, God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. It's all for him. Thank you, Jesus. Not every day you get to uh, hear stories that really show you the heart of what a Christian should be. And I had the privilege to attend a funeral yesterday in, in Ohio. And the man that we were celebrating his life uh, it was Ben, my brother-in-law, and Andrea, uh, their grandpa. And uh, Brother Merrick has a remarkable story, and time doesn't allow me to tell it. But there was something that really stuck out to me when I was talking to his wife. Last week, um, he turned 90 years old, and he, he had said to his family, I want to I celebrate my 90th birthday. And, uh, and so they did. They, they had a big celebration uh, that, that night, and it was just, it was exciting. And, and that night, as he got ready for bed, his wife says that he laid in bed and he just started to sing praises to the Lord. Started to sing old hymns that he loved. And, and before long, it just turned to praise and worship. And then he started speaking in other tongues. And it was like three hours later that he dozed off and God took him. And I think about that life. 
I told his, his wife, I said, that's, the, that's how I want to go. I, I think that's what Paul had in mind when he said that, that, that I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth is laid for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the most righteous judge. Here's a man that lived his life all for God. E even when he was past the age of ministry, he still said, I have breath in my lungs. And as long as I have this, I may not feel good and I might not be mobile and I might not even be able to physically make it to church, but you're not going to take my praise and my worship. And here we are on a Sunday morning. We have mobility. We have ability. Wow. Why? Why? How much more for us should we choose to worship and praise and say, my life story is going to be lived not for myself, not for to make a name for myself, but everything I do and everything I am is all for the glory of God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I know we're going to break in a little bit for class, but if you would just be seated with me for a minute, I want to do something a little bit differently. Um, thank you for your prayers uh, for my wife and I. We, we surely missed uh, being here last Sunday and Wednesday, but uh, we felt we felt the worship and the praise going through the uh, the internet, and I know there are, are many today at home, um, uh, whether it's COVID or RSV or LMNOP or or whatnot. Uh, my wife went to the doctor a couple weeks ago, and uh, I thought it was pretty ironic that that doctor asked her a, a number of questions, and and then she came back in the room with with a, a, a thick. Uh, pack of papers and she said okay so I, I give you an antibiotic and a steroid and I've given you an inhaler with a steroid and cough syrup with with this and I was like man she just doesn't know and so they just ran the gamut and gave her everything and, and so I know there's a lot of sickness that's that's going on and for all of those that are watching at home we are we are praying for you and, and look forward to worshiping together when we're all healthy um, if you start feeling sick stay home stay home um, there is a lot of giving and sharing that takes place during this season. And there is one gift that nobody has on their list, and that is sickness. And so if you have that, just keep it to yourself. Um, you're not a Grinch, believe you me. Um, amen. Th today, this is kind of a, a day that we've called a, a day of giving. And, um, and we'll talk a little bit more uh, about the building fund here in a minute. Um, but last month, we, we gathered together with the leadership team, and uh, we put pen to paper and, and began to plan 2024, and we're very excited for uh, this upcoming year. This, this has been a good year, isn't it? I'm thankful for what God has done this year, and there will be plenty of time to celebrate that. However, I, I walked away from that Saturday meeting uh, truly feeling blessed uh, because we have some tremendous leaders at Living Word Church. And uh, there's a lot of things that take place behind the scenes. And sometimes we are, are, are people who get to come and experience things. And we don't maybe at times think about all that goes into putting a service and a church together. These, these are leaders that, that sacrificially and selflessly give of their time and their talent and their treasure. Uh, they regularly invest in their ministry. And, and if you would peek behind the curtain... Um, you'll notice that a lot of our leaders can't just focus on their ministry. Most of them are involved in other ministries. And, and there's a lot of them that, that there's not a, 
a week that goes by that they're not investing of themselves. Uh, they're not putting on multiple hats. They're not teaching Bibles. They're, they're just always doing things. And, and it, would be, it would be foolish of us to think that what takes place uh, at this church is because of me. Um, it is not. It, it, we have a wonderful group of people that are committed and dedicated. And I wanted to just take today uh, to publicly honor them. Is that okay? And so my, my beautiful bride is going to join me up on this platform, and, and we'll try to do this with haste, but I want to also take the moment to, to acknowledge these individuals' leaders. As we call your name, you can come up, and we have a, a token for you. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to do anything. Just receive this token, and you can go back to your seats. But, but can we show them how much we love them today? First, we want to say a big, big thank you to our audiovisual department by Brother Peter Holdman, Sister Andrea Holdman. They do a lot of things behind the scenes, and we are so thankful for both of them. If you would both come up, we have something for you. Yeah, and you, you can just stay up here because I'm going to keep calling. Then we have, we have our building and maintenance director, Brother Ernie Marock, who is at the church tirelessly making sure that this campus is taken care of and mowing lawns, and we love and honor him. Then we have our first impression director, Sister Linda. I'm not sure where Linda is, but Linda does such an amazing job making sure that our guests feel welcome. Sister Linda, if you are out there, please come in here. There she is. Then we have our next steps directors. That's Brother Mike and Sister Ann Parity, and they help with the assimilation of our guests and making sure that we are taking next steps and growing in kingdom ministry. Then we have our wonderful men's minister, Brother Ed Jimenez, who does such a fantastic job leading our men. They are not here today because of some sick kiddos, but we want to publicly honor our hyphen ministry leaders, Brother Matt and Sister Tiffany, who do such a wonderful job for our 18 to 35 crew. Then we have our youth pastors, Brother Michael and Sister Rebecca Curra, who do such an amazing job investing in our students. Then we have our children's ministry directors, Brother Eric and Sister Tiffany. They did an incredible job with VBS this year and Samaritan's Purse. We love them. And our Bible quizzing director, Brother Ryan and Sister Val, who help our young people hide the Word of God in their heart. Then we have our senior care director, Brother Gary Holdman, who many of you do not know this, but Sunday after church, he goes to the Regency and he holds service there. And so we are so thankful for Brother Holdman for his investment. They are not here as well, but our Living Free coordinators, Jim and Andrea Halazny, they do a great job with our recovery program. We love them very much. And then half of the duo is here of our church care, Sister Sue Kelly and Melissa Penner. Melissa is, is in Ohio, but we honor them. They're the ones who, if you ever get a birthday card in the mail or a warm meal, if there's sickness or flowers, they do so many things behind the scene, and we love and appreciate them. Then we have our newest ministry director, that is our Connect Group directors, and that's Brother Rico and Sister Jody Lopez. You can't hide, Sister Jody. you got to come out. And we love them very much. 
And then we have, we have brother and sister Kura. They lead and help the effort at Tree of Life. And there was already been a service this morning at 8 o'clock in Vernon. And we're raising up a, a mighty work in Vernon. And we're thankful for brother and sister Kura. They, they have Bible study on Saturday. They had something going on yesterday and this morning. And I know they're out there. And so brother Kura, sister Kura, if you could come in. And we just want to honor you and thank you for all that you do. Then we have, she's our promotions director, but she's also our church secretary. She also does the garden. Uh, Katie wears a lot of hats, and there's a lot of things that happen in this church because Katie is at the helm, and we are so appreciative for Sister Katie McGrew. Love her. Then we have our secretary treasurer, Sister Julie Felkowski, and we are thankful for her and all the hard work that she puts in. Then we have a wonderful administrative pastor who preaches and teaches the Word of God, and he does so much administrative work. Brother Carlson, come on up. We love you so very much. And then we have our wonderful ladies director and our esteemed bishop, mom and dad. We love you so very much. The founding pastors of this church, we want to honor you as well. So would you come up? Sister Dolores leads the ladies' ministry. We just signed a 10-year contract with her, so she's going to continue. <laughs> Amen. Why don't you once again give them all a hand clap and let them know how much you love and appreciate them. These are wonderful leaders that do such a remarkable job, and we can't say thank you enough. Amen. You all may be seated. There, there's one ministry that I intentionally saved for last. You might have been scouring the room and said you forgot one, but I, I didn't, I, I assure you. Uh, and that is our prayer ministry under the direction of Sister Bridget Carlson. For, for the past seven years, Bridget has faithfully led our prayer ministry. And, and during this time, if you've been with the church for a couple months, you've been impacted by Sister Bridget and her ministry. There's been uh, just incredible prayer journeys. Has anyone been a part of a prayer journey this year? That's attributed to Sister Bridget. She does the, the dynamic Sunday night prayers and the corporate prayers that we take place. Uh, she does 21 days of prayer and fasting and, and little prayer and fastings that we pocket throughout the year. Uh, if you ever have a prayer request that you send into the prayer chain at Sister Bridget, uh, she, she's like, it's like the one call that's all line. And no matter where she is, Sister Bridget is always there to get the bat line and, and, and answer it. But, but more than all of that, if you spend just a minute with Sister Bridget, you'll, you'll realize that this isn't just a ministry she leads, but this is an overflow of what she does in private. Uh, she is a woman of prayer, a woman that's dedicated to the Word of God and has just a, a sincere passion for the Word of God. And, and, and she has decided uh, that God is leading her in a different direction. And we wanted to just take a minute to honor you for the past seven years of leading this wonderful ministry. We're, we know God has big plans in, in this next season of life, but would you, would you join me in, in thanking Sister Bridget for all that she's done these past seven years? We love you, we honor you, and we are so appreciative for everything that you have done, Sister Bridget. Amen. Thank you, Sister Bridget. We love you. Amen. At this time, the, the children the, and the teachers, you can break for class. Um, 
I would, I would, why don't you remain standing with me? Um, you might say, where do I send my, my, my prayer requests? Sister Bridget was going to be helping us out through the year end, and then we'll give you some more, uh, some more details into next year. But um, she's laid a great foundation for what is going to take place in this upcoming year. And I want you to know we're going to continue to be a church of prayer. Um, as a matter of fact, I would, I would implore you, um, I'm going to give you just a little peek behind the curtain into next year. Um, if you would put in your calendar and, and block out January 12th and January 13th, um, next year is going to be a year where we focus on being a healthy church. And I'll talk more about that the first week of January. Um, but the second weekend, we are going to have a, a weekend devoted to spiritual health. And I don't know if you've ever been in a place where you feel like, you know, I just, I just need tools to go deeper in prayer, deeper in fasting, deeper in Bible uh, study. And, and, and we're going to have a, a weekend devoted to that. And so if you would, January the 12th, January the 13th, would you lock that in? The 12th is a Saturday. The 13th is a Sunday. We'll have Sister Vicki Vernon with us that week. And there will be a, a bunch of topics that are going to be covered. Um, but we want you to come out to that. And, and I know it's right after the holidays and, and, and maybe you're looking for a reprieve. You, you can have a reprieve the week before and the week after, but not that week. And, and so there's going to be five weekends like these next year. And, and if you could hear the heart of your pastor, I would like you to do everything in your ability to, to prioritize these weekends because I think that as we get closer to the rapture, we need to be healthy Christians. That a world that is unhealthy, they should be able to look at a church and not say, wow, they're just as anxious as I, they're just as in debt as I, they're just as cynical. They should know, they should be able to look at us and see distinction and say, wow, they have what I need. They're living in freedom and I'm bound. And so we're going we're gonna to cover a number of things next year. And so we'll get you those dates. Uh, we'll probably have them available to you next week. But I'd encourage you the 12th and the 13th if you could prioritize that. Amen. If you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me to G John chapter 3. Today we are relaunching our Building Fund campaign. And when you walked in, you should have received a card. And I, I know that uh, many of you have been faithful in your giving this past year. And I just want to say thank you. Um, this is unheard of. I, I want to just take a minute to, to brag. Um, and, and this is part of my message. So, so just, you know, if you've wanted to start the clock, you can start it already. But, but our goal when we launched the building fund two years ago is, is we wanted to retire debt on this church because we feel like that as we get closer um, and as things outside get darker, that we never want there to be a hindrance uh, for this church to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And, and this is unheard of. Last year, um, there was, a, I think, a little over 65000 that was pledged to the building fund, and we, we collected over 100%. That, that's amazing. Just give yourself a hand clap. Thank you for your generosity to the building fund. Thank you for your commitment. But our goal through this journey has also been to be incredibly transparent with you. And we told you that 100% of what you would give to the building fund would go right to retire the debt of this church. And two years ago when we launched this, um, we had just over 871000 on our mortgage of the church. And I'm happy to report that as of today, we have paid off just over $300,000 in two years. We're at 566000 and that's, that's, that's in large part to this church and your generosity and your giving. 
Uh, we have been good stewards also of the money, and Sister Julie and Brother Eric have done a great job in ensuring that above and beyond what you give, we're trying to match it from the church and give double that. And so we've been very thankful for that. And so this year, once again, we're going to focus on debt retirement. And at the end of the service, there will be some baskets up here. And so I'd ask that you would just prayerfully consider uh, as we walk through this service today, uh, ask God, what, what should I give? If you're at home and, and you think, I escaped it, you didn't. Um, and, and, the, and the text thread, if they haven't already pinned it, uh, Brother Logan is going to pin a link uh, where you can pledge to the building fund. And I think together, we're hoping in the next three years, next four years, uh, that we're going to pay this church off completely. Uh, you know, I, I was reading the other day in Exodus when, when Moses um, requests the people to give an offering for the building of the temple, uh, the tabernacle. And it says a chapter later that as they began to uh, give what they collected in Egypt, as they began to just give it offering, these are offerings, as they were giving them freely, there came a point where Moses had to, and this never, I don't know if this has ever been done in a, in a church, but Moses had to get up in front of the congregation and say, stop giving. You, you've given too much. We have enough. And, and I'm believing that we can pay this off in the next four years, but I, I believe that we can pay this off in the next year if God wills it. If God wills it. Uh, I've heard churches and, and have friends that had business owners that were driving past a church and just felt inclined to drive in and drop off a six-figure check. And I, I know that if it be God's will, that he will do that. But I want to show God that with what he's trusted us with, that we're going to be good stewards of that and that he can truly trust us with more. Amen. John chapter 3 and verse 16, very simple passage of Scripture. Most of you, I'm sure, know it by heart. And it simply says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know, the, the topic of giving, it's a very important one. But it's also one that when you mention you're going to talk about it, you can feel the air just get sucked out of a building. Jesus, out of the, out of the 38 parables that Jesus, uh, it was recorded that he spoke of, 16 of his parables dealt with money. Of the 288 verses in the Gospels, uh, or actually, let me back up, one out of 10 verses in the Gospels deal with money. So 288 verses in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's 500 verses in the New Testament that deal with prayer and 500 with faith but over 2,000 that deal with possessions and money. And so you might think, why does the pulpit have to talk about this? But Jesus said, this is a very important topic. He actually said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be. And so if you would allow me to, for the next few moments, I understand where we are with time, but I want to speak to you on this title today, The Principled Life, The Principled Life. And I want to share with you just some principles that I have gleaned uh, growing up in a household. Uh, it's, it's, you got to understand something. Giving is in my DNA. Uh, I've watched my dad liberally give, but I've also seen the byproduct of a house that has remained faithful to giving. And then when I was born again, my heavenly father impressed me the importance of giving. And so I want to just share with you some of the things that I've learned. So if you would just drop your Bibles and if you would lift your hands with me and let's just ask God uh, to, to speak to us 
that maybe we know this already, but that he would open our hearts to receive what he would have for us today. Jesus, I love you. I thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you for this day. Pray that you would anoint the word as it goes forth. I pray you'd give us ears that hear what the Spirit is saying. And God, I pray that everything we do, everything that we say, would be for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. If you have a pen and paper, I encourage you to get it out. Take some notes today. Uh, I want to be maybe a little more clinical today, but we'll also uh, get to where we're going or need to go today. Uh, December is a month highlighted by giving. It's It's a time of goodwill and generosity. Uh, You don't have to look any further than the shopping mall. Uh, Any of you been out to the malls in the last couple days or weeks? I try to avoid it this time of year. Um, But look at the shopping malls. Look at the numerous packages that are piling up on your neighbor's doorsteps. I I observed the Amazon delivery driver uh, earlier this week pull into my neighbor's. We live in a cul-de-sac. He pulled into my neighbor's driveway and dropped off a package, and then he backed up and pulled into my next neighbor's driveway and dropped off a package. I thought, I wonder if he's going to get four for four. They pulled up again and got all of the houses. It is the season for giving. And at some point in the next couple weeks, I would venture to say, many of you will receive a, a wrapped package, maybe a gift bag or an envelope of varying sizes. And, and there's going to be something specific in there that somebody has handpicked for you. Or better yet, maybe you're the person that, that loves to give and, and you already have the perfect gift picked out and you're wrapping it and you're excited to give it to that special someone because we're in a season of giving. But, but there's another type of giving that takes place in the month of December. These gifts are of a different variety. They won't be wrapped in paper or placed under a tree. A lot of times that the giver doesn't really even see the impact of the gift. And the giving I'm referring to is giving to charity. Whether you know it or not, December is considered the month in which the most giving to charity takes place. Now, we could could speculate the reasoning behind that, but listen to this. Last year alone in America, $410 billion was given to charity, breaking all records that had been set in previous years. But of the $410 billion given over the course of last year, over 30% of that was given in the month of December. Half, or 12% rather, of all giving happens in the last three days of the year. Again, we can speculate why that is. But, but some nonprofits are said to have raised over 50% of their budget in the month of December. It's a month of giving. It's a a season of giving. And I think it's only fitting because the reason for the season surrounds giving. Let's not confuse the season. Uh, We don't celebrate Santa Claus, but we celebrate a Savior that robed himself in flesh and came down to earth for us. And And it's impossible for us to think about the manger without looking beyond the manger and the purpose as to why Jesus came. That the purpose was made very clear with Gabriel's proclamation to Joseph. The, 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 the intent of Jesus was made very clear when John the Baptist saw him from afar. Jesus came to save people from their sins. 
God robed himself in flesh for the purpose and intent to save people from their sins. And the only way that could take place is that he would have to give his life. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave. That, that's, that's the father that we celebrate. That's the, the, the babe in the manger that we commemorate. He, he gave. It, it was a gift that, that some understand would ridicule. It was a, a, a gift that, that some would reject. But it's a gift also that many would receive. But regardless of the recipient's response, Jesus gave. He, he didn't wait for us to get it right. As a matter of fact, Scripture said God commends his love towards us that while we were still sinners, he gave. God didn't wait for us to get good. He, he didn't wait for us to be uh, someone that was on the nice list. He, he didn't wait for us to, to be in a position where he said, okay, now you deserve it. But he said, when you didn't deserve the gift, when, when you would willingly and openly mock and reject me, that's when I decided to give. He, he loved you so much that he gave. It's a gift that washes away the stain of a sinful past. It's a gift that comes with overcoming power. It, it's a gift that was joyfully and freely given with you and I in mind. And it's a gift with eternal benefits. And, and to be a recipient of that gift without reciprocating seems short-sighted and maybe even a little selfish. To think about, and now don't get me wrong, there is nothing that we can do to repay Jesus for what he did for us. This is not, this is not a work-based Christianity. There's nothing we can do to earn it. There's nothing we can do to pay it back. But willingly throwing our hands up in the air and saying, well, I can't do anything, so might as well do nothing. It, it seems kind of selfish. For a God who's given everything to us, why wouldn't we willingly give everything back? Uh, Jesus said to his, his disciples when he sent them out in Matthew 10 and 8, the very last portion of the verse, he says, freely you've received, freely give. And I think that is, that is the testimony of each and every person in this room without having to know details of your story or having to know about your past. I can say that each one of us freely received the grace of God. And why wouldn't we freely give? And so the question, I guess, is what should I give? Maybe you're asking, maybe you already know the answer to it, but, but the answer is very simple. It's a, it's a very simple answer. The answer today is that you respond by giving everything. You give your time, you give your talent, and you give your treasure. If he gave it all, why would I reciprocate by giving anything less? And I've learned when, when it gets to giving, people can tend to get legalistic. And people can tend to get squirmish. And people can tend to draw their own conclusions based off of how they feel. And so I've learned in my life and growing up in a, a household with a pastor that it's very important to be a principled giver. It's important to live a principled life. And I want to share with you three principles that I think will help frame in this subject of giving. As a Christian, don't you agree we should be principled? Amen. All right. 
Let, let's get into it. The, the first principle, and I want you to write this down, or, or just pretend like you're writing it down. It'll make me feel good. These are, these are principles that when I say them, you'll go, oh, yeah, I know this. But it's good. The, the first principle is the principle of stewardship. Stewardship. And you can write this down next to it because I think this will help you when you're up at one in the morning and you can't get to bed and you're tempted to go look on QVC. No, just look through your sermon notes and you can, you can let the message live on by writing the statement down next to it and simply put, here's what you write. God owns it all. A steward is someone who is responsible for another's resource. There's no ownership in stewarding. Because what you are stewarding is not yours, but someone else's. And as a Christian, everything we have is God's. And I know this, this flies in the face of our Western uh, democracy, right? Because we live in a world where we are free. And as a result of that, we say things like, it's my life. It's, it's my time. It's my money. It's my possessions. I will do it. My way. It was one of the first words a child learns, and a lot of times you don't have to teach them, you just put another child in the mix, that the, the word is mine. And the problem is, is we don't outgrow that word. We get bigger, and our toys get bigger and more extravagant, and if we don't overcome that, we look at ours as mine. But, but, that's, that's not the case. God owns it all. Let me, let me give you an example of this. Psalms 24 and 1, the psalmist would pen, The earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. Okay, okay that, 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 that's the, the grass and the dirt. Okay, I'm cool with that, but I don't, I don't care about that stuff. Then he, then he qualifies, The world and those who dwell in it. That David said, everything is the Lord's. Yes, you have a, a, a five-acre parcel that you pay taxes on, but it's not yours. It's the Lord's. Yeah, yes, you have breath in your lungs, and you have money in your bank account, and you have energy, and you have a boat, and you have a, a vacation home, and you say, it's mine. It's not yours. It's the Lord's. Because every good gift, every perfect gift comes from above. And so everything that you have in your life, everything that you celebrate, everything that you use, everything that you get to enjoy, it's not yours. It's the Lord's. I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer. I'm not trying to be negative. But I think it's important that we have this perspective. This doesn't mean don't, 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 don't put words into my mouth. I'm not saying go sell everything. But I, I'm saying it's not yours. I, I, I met a, I have a friend who lives in Texas and he owns a, a hundred acre uh, uh, ranch and he uses it as a business. He's a multimillionaire and, and very, uh, a man that God has blessed in many ways. He, he said a number of years ago, I was, it was in prayer and the Lord said, that business is not yours, it's mine and so I want you to give it to me. And he said, I wrestled with that for a while because he said, you don't understand, I've given away houses I've given away cars. I've, I've, I'm, I'm a generous individual. God has blessed me, and so I've not withheld. I, I've freely given it to God. And, and I didn't know what that meant because I thought, Lord, I've given you everything. And the Lord said, no, this is yours. It's not mine. And he said, so I'm in the works of right now getting a valuation of my business, giving a valuation on my, my farm, 
and I'm, I think I'm going to sell it all. And I said, why are you going to do that? And he said, because I think that's what the Lord wants me to do. Th- think about that. A lot of times what happens is we hear stories like that, and we think, when I get to that point, I'll embrace that. But the reality is, is if you can't be faithful with nickels, if you can't be faithful with dollars, the more you get, see, see, money, all it is, is money is a revealer. The more you have, the more it reveals. And so you get people who live in this, this, this false sense of reality that when I have more, I'll do more. And the reality is, is you have less and you do less. And so when you have more, you'll continue to do less. The, the saddest thing when I, when I used to be a, a, a banker in Elm Grove is I would meet doctors that were, were pulling in half a million dollar salaries and they would come in to get a, an auto loan and I would have to decline them because they were overextended. And they would look at me in a pretentious manner and they would say, what do you mean? And I would say, you don't have the money. You can't afford more. Because you lived in, in, a, in a situation, in a scenario where you were always chasing what's next. And the Lord says, listen, let's just cut it off at the head. It's not yours. It's mine. You're merely stewarding it. And, and so God owns it all. 100% of your time is God. 100% of your talent is God. 100% of your treasure or your money is God. It's all God's. Paul would say this in 1 Corinthians 6 and 19. He says, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? who lives in you and was given for you by God. You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. He he said, the precious blood of Jesus that paid the debt for you also purchased you. And so you might say, well, it's my time. I'm going to travel. I'm going to do whatever I want. God says, no, it's not. You live for me. So your body, your time, your talent, your treasure, it's all God's. You're not an owner, but you're a steward. And we live in this world where these two competing mindsets wrestle back and forth. Ownership versus stewardship. Ownership says, it's mine to do what I please. But stewardship says, it's his to request as he wills. Who has, who has, um, who has like a $20 bill on them? Thank you, Brother Ernie. You'll get it back, possibly. Ownership treats money like this. It's mine. And you want it? Can't have it. But stewardship looks at it like this and has an open hand. You see, see, notice the difference. When I have a closed fist, I can't give, but I also can't receive. When I approach it like this, I can freely give, and I can also freely receive. There's a difference between ownership and stewardship. Ownership says it's mine to do with as I want. It it says I'm going to control it, I'm going to protect it, but stewardship says I'm I'm merely managing what's been entrusted to me. And and so we have to get these mindsets right. It's imperative that, that as we look at our life, We understand that I am merely a steward. I'm not an owner. Jesus said this in Matthew 7 and 21. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. You see, a stewardship 
It's not just, a steward is not just in profession, it's in practice. You, you might call him Lord, but if he's a Lord, then you're, the only other thing you can be is a servant. And words are important because if we're not careful, we say things that we don't mean. They sound good. I'm a Christian, but our lifestyle betrays us. Jesus said, just because you call me Lord doesn't mean you're going to enter into the kingdom. But the only one who will is him who calls me Lord, but him who also does the will of the Father. And so for us to understand that, it's, yes, you can sing, I give myself away. But then you look at your checkbook and it, it says, no, I really don't. You can say uh, or sing the song, I, I will give you all. But how you spend your time speaks more to the fact if what you're singing is followed up by what you're doing. And so let's be principled people. I'm not, I'm not trying to be legalistic. This, this isn't that, that we look at giving statements and say, oh, not a steward. Not, no, no, no. We're not, we're not legalistic here, right? We're not, we're not under the Old Testament law, but we are principled people. And principled people means we look at the principle that is within the Scripture and we say, God, uh, I'm not going to be here to measure you. You're, you're accountable to God, but you have to follow the principle. And so the first principle is stewardship, and that is that God owns it all. That, that leads us to our second principle. I want you to write this down. It, it's the principle of first. S simply put, you can write this down next to it. God must be first. So, so first, God owns it all. Second, God must be first. Not, not, not your pastor, not, not your spouse, not your job. God must be first. Let's get that right. We are to put the things of God before our things. We are to put the will of God before our will. Je Jesus said in, in Matthew 6 and 33 at the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, he said, but seek second the kingdom of God. Give God your leftovers. He likes a doggy bag. No, it says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Earlier on in the scripture, he's talking about people that are worried about what's taking place. And they say, I don't have enough food or I'm not going to have enough clothes. And he says, don't even worry about that stuff. Don't worry about your next meal. Don't, don't worry about the, the next article of clothing. Don't worry about the next raise. Don't, don't worry about any of that stuff. That, that's, that's, that's menial. That's, that's your kingdom. Seek first my kingdom, and then everything else will fall in place. I, I tell you what, this is a timeless principle because I can tell you that when I put my time in God first, my day just falls into place. I can tell you when, when I do my things first, I feel disrupted, I feel disorganized, I always feel like I'm chasing my tail, I always feel like I'm one, you get what I'm saying? Have you been there before? When God is first in my day, when I wake up in the morning and say, God, I'm going to give you the first bit of my time before I go into a meeting, before I make plans, before you're going to get the first, you're going to get all of my energy. When I do that, the day aligns. And he said, seek first the kingdom. He said, when you do that, 
everything else will fall into order. I put God above Angie. I put God above Ellie. I put God above this church. God is, is the number one in my life. And, and so that, what does that mean? That means I'm, I, if, if you say differently than what God tells me to do, I follow God. If you say I disapprove and God says I approve, I follow God. I, I don't need your approval. I want God's approval. And so I seek and we seek first the kingdom of God. Solomon said it this way in Proverbs 3 and 5. He said, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. And then he said this, in all your ways. That, that's very broad. That's, it's, it's encompassing every aspect of your life. In all your ways, acknowledge. That word acknowledge means to choose or to submit. In all your ways, acknowledge. Submit to him. Choose him. And then guess what? He'll direct your paths. We, we get, and this is a principle that so often we get wrong. We wonder why we're walking through the dark. We wonder why everything is chaotic in our life. We, we wonder why everything is going wrong. And I'm not just talking about money right now. I'm talking about your time. I'm talking about what you put first. We wonder at times why everything's in disarray and disorder. And it's because you don't put God first. If God was first, it doesn't mean that everything is sunshine and rainbows and unicorns and every day is your birthday. But when you put God first, I've learned that the, the, the storms can be traversed much easier. When God is first, the, the darkest days are as light to him. And I can feel his hand leading me and guiding me through the midst of the storm. And I may not see tomorrow, but I can trust that he is holding tomorrow. And if I put him first, I can take the next step and may not be sure of my footings, but I can trust that he'll make a way. He said, put me first. And then he, he said this, and, and this, is where, this is where at times we get a little dicey. In verse 9, he says, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. Now, now this is where people have differing opinions. We, we keep God first also by tithing. You see, all throughout the law, God wanted the first. He, he said, he said um, if you give me the firstborn of your animals, I'll redeem the rest. And, and then he said, if you give me the first of your, your produce and, and what you bring in, I'll bless the rest. And there are some today that say, well, well that's, just, that's just a law. That's under the law. But, but I beg to differ because before the law was enacted, Abraham gave a tithe to Melchizedek, who was a type of Christ. Jacob gave a tenth of his possessions to God. This is before the law. He said, I'm going to give you a tenth of everything that I have. And then we fall under the law, and I get that. I get that under the law. The Israelites were told to give a tenth of their possessions. But then we go to the New Testament. In, in Matthew 23, 23, Jesus talking to the Pharisee, let them know that tithing is still a good thing that they should follow. And then in 1 Corinthians, Paul's talking to the church and says, hey, I'm going to be there in the first day of the week to collect the tithe. And so we see all throughout Scripture that tithing is important. But, but here's the thing. Tithing is a test. It's a test of whether or not you'll put God first. Ten in the Bible, which is what we talk about with tithing, we see in Scripture 10% of our income. Ten is always a test. There was ten plagues. There was ten commandments. There were ten times the Israelites were tested in the wilderness. Jacob's wages were changed ten times. Daniel was tested ten times. And so tithing is a test. And we're going to read it in a moment, but in Malachi, the Lord says, test me. Try me. 
You may say, I don't want to take the test. That's your prerogative. That's your prerogative. But it's a test. And, and so tithing is not a sacrifice because tithing is returning to God what's already his. And so often we, we get back to that first where we're owners and we say it's mine, but, but when I'm a steward and God says, hey, that first 10, I want it back, I, I, don't, I don't argue with him. I say, well, it's yours already, so I'll, I'll give it to you. Malachi this. Let's, let's look at Malachi. And, and I think it's important what, what the Lord says to Malachi in the very beginning of this because a lot of times we disregard the rest. But the Lord says to Malachi, uh, Malachi who is the last prophetic voice to be heard before the coming Messiah, he says this in verse 6. He says, I'm the Lord, I do not change. A.K.A., what I'm about to say, I don't change. Then he says in verse 8, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offering. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now. Test me, he says. See if I will not... Open the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessings that you will, there will not be room enough for you to receive it. And I'll rebuke the devourer for your sake so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fall to bear fruit of you in the shield, says the Lord. And all the nations shall call you blessed. Listen to, to three points in this. And, and again, I, I know this is where some of you are sitting here and saying, I don't believe this. Okay, fine. You can do what you want to do and, and, and you'll give account for it. But, but number one, he says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. And, and so we see twice in Scripture where it says bring it. We, we, we are simply returning it. We're not giving it. We're returning back to God what's his. You, you cannot give what's not yours. And, and let me just say, I've tested God. I, I've tried God. And I can tell you, I, I don't have time to tell you all the stories. I, I don't know if I've told this story before, but a couple years ago, um, Angie and I were going through some financial struggles. This was about the height of when things were going bad with her health. And I remember one night, we were sitting down and, and looking at our, our finances and looking at our budget, and Angie said, you know, for the last five months, we've been paying, like, I forget what it was, like 5% more in our tithes and offerings. She said, we've gotten it wrong. We've been giving way more to the church. What should we do? And I said, well, just, well, just keep it. It's fine. It was like two days later that, that a person that lives in Texas that I rarely ever see calls me and says, hey, do you have Cash App? And I said, no. And he said, get it. I want to send you something. And I said, no, you don't have to. He said, no, 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 my wife and I have been talking. I want to send you something. And so I got it, and I thought, okay, he's going to send me a couple dollars. He sent me the exact amount of what we had tithed on the past six months, Amen. down to the penny. I looked at it and I said, babe, this is the exact amount we said we've just given. This is 10% of it. God says, test me. Try me. I, I, I have so many stories of times where we've just faithfully given to the kingdom of God. And I can tell you what, the, the devourer has not been in our home. It's, I, I remember times where we moved into the house and they said, you know what? Your, 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 your uh, what do you call it? Your furnace and your water heater, they're going to go any minute. And the water heater lasted 13 years while I lived in that house. And, and when it changed, someone blessed us when I was out of town. There's a person in this church who's a plumber who blessed me with a new water heater. That, that's, that's the kind of God we serve. He says, seek first my kingdom and everything will be added to you. He said, your failure to tithe in Malachi is in effect robbing God. 
We, we, and I, again, this is, I'm not going to get hard and legalistic on you, but I want you to know that when you fail to tithe, you tie God's hands. And, and, and it, it inadvertently does not allow him to let the blessings of God on you. And scripture says the devourer is then released in your house. I've seen people who have chosen not to tithe, and I don't get into arguments or to debates with people who think differently, but I've watched as, as issue after issue has happened. Their car breaks down, and this happens, and that happens, and this happens. And I'm not saying it's God. I'm not, but I think it's incredibly, it's incredibly interesting that he says when you tithe, the devourer will not be allowed to come. And then when I've seen people who haven't, I've watched as the devourer has come. He said, test me. So if you're skeptical, try God. Test him. See, see if he won't open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing. So first, God owns it all. Second, God must be first. And the last principle, and it's this. It's the principle of reciprocity. The principle of reciprocity. S- simply put, and you can write this down next to it, it starts with you. It starts with you. That, that's how this principle works. Everything I've said before have been principles that have been mindset. God owns it all. God's first. But then this principle says, but it starts with you. Let me show you what I mean. Galatians 6 and 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. And so how we see in this principle, and and there's tons of scripture that backs this up, and I'll share it with you, but the principle revealed shows that how you treat God is how he'll treat you. That the things you sow will determine what comes back to you. It it first starts with you. uh, James said this, he said, draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. And we see that all throughout scripture. The Lord would say, if you make a step towards me, I'll make a step towards you. But there's so often that people are saying, you first, God. And God says, no, that's not how I work. You first. You you make the first move and see what I'll do in response. Hebrews 11 and 6, but without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek seek him. He he says, I'm not going to reward you first. Seek me first. And I'm a rewarder of those who diligently seek me. Maybe we've gotten this wrong. Matthew 4, uh, 6 and 14, Jesus said, For if you give, forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. He, he said, if you want forgiveness, offer it. But if you hold back your forgiveness, I'll also hold back my forgiveness. Jesus says it starts with you. This principle is timeless. This principle is tried and true. And this principle also works with our money. And this principle is important. Jesus, in Luke chapter 6, in talking about giving, says something radical. He says, give to everyone who asks of you. Just, just, okay, if you're going to follow this scripture, I'm going to start asking. So every time your child says, money, no. Give to everyone who asks of you, and from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just, in verse 31, as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. And then he says in verse 36, therefore, be merciful just as your father also is merciful. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, 
and you will be forgiven. Given, it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put in your bosom. Under, understand, um, in, in, in the, the Old Testament days, in, in the agricultural days, according to the law, the, the owner who had uh, a field that was harvested, he would hired, hired hands, and they would harvest the middle portion. But they would always leave, uh, and they were instructed to leave the edges and, and not plow that. And that's where the poor would come. And, and so imagine somebody who's hired. They would just, because they're paid, paid a day's wage, they would take their basket, they would go and they would harvest it and go back to the cart and dump it out. They, they didn't care how much was in the basket because they didn't get paid on how much was in the basket, they just did the work. But imagine somebody who traveled from a distance who was poor, and this was the food that they were going to live on. They would go to that place, and they would put it in there, and it's just kind of like some of, of your children do when the garbage can is full. We just push it down, right? There's still room left in it, and that's what they would do. They would, he said, press it down, add more. Then, then shake it, and add more, and then running over. But the principle is not just for money. He, he says, if you give condemnation, guess what? condemnation is going to come back to you pressed down, shaken together, and running over. If you say, but I just can't forgive them, guess what's going to come back to you pressed down, shaken together, and running? If you judge somebody else without taking into consideration the, the beam that's in your eyes, he said, guess what's coming back to you? Judgment, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. But if you give mercy, hmm, if you're a merciful individual, guess what's coming back to you? Pressed down, shaken together, and running over. If you give grace to somebody, guess what's coming back to you? And if you give offering, guess what's coming back to you? And it's not, it's not just that it's coming back. It's how it's coming back. And I think this is important that we understand, and I'm coming to a close here, that, that this, is, this is the reward, not the motivation. I don't, and we shouldn't, give to get. That's not the goal. The goal, the goal is not that I give so that I can have back. I give because he has been so good to me. Just as Jesus said to his disciples, freely you have received, freely you give. So I don't give with the motivation that if I give today in the offering, tomorrow there better be a check in the mail. No, I give because it's the right thing to do and because he owns it all. And if he speaks to me and says, David, I want you to give, I say I'm going to be obedient to your voice, God, and I'm going to give. And whatever comes as a result of that, let it be. You understand this. You can never outgive God. I, I don't know if any of you can attest to this, but you can never outgive God. I, I've told this story before, but it seems fitting to end I remember, I remember just telling it in the fast way, and, and the musicians can come. I remember when Angie and I were newly married, and um, Angie was working a job, was also going to school full-time. And I remember that um, the work that she was doing, the, the job got a little hard, and, and her boss was being very difficult, and it was in the same time she was taking uh, a very difficult subject in college, and, and so we said, you know what, we have enough money in the savings for you to quit for three months and make it through the semester, and then you can, you can pick up another job. And, and I remember 
I'm, if you know me, I, I, I've worked in finance for the past 20 years. I'm very logical when it comes to money. I'm very, uh, every dollar has a, a home and has a name. Uh, that's how we live our life. We, and, and I remember looking at the savings account and thinking, okay, God, let's make it last. We got through the first month, and I remember I was in prayer one day, and the Lord spoke to me and said, you know that money in your savings account? And I said, yeah, and he said, I want you to give half of it to, and he gave me a name. Clearly, God didn't understand, Ernie, that this money I was living on, this wasn't just savings. And, and, and so I, I brushed it off, but the impression was so, uh, it was so strong. And I did what any good husband would do, is when Angie got home, I, I said, I was in prayer tonight, and God said that I should give this much money. And I figured my wife would be the voice of truth, the voice of reason. And she would say, no, David. And she looked at me and she said, well, if God told you, why are you asking me? I said, okay. That was the hardest check <laughs> that I ever had to write. I put it in an envelope, I put a stamp on it, and I mailed it. It was gone. And I, I wanted pressed down, shaken together, and running over because I needed pressed down, shaken together, and running over. And I was expecting everything to get better. It was like the next week the furnace went out. And um, it was going to cost about $3,500. Guess who didn't have $3,500? And I tried to take things in my own hand. I, I went to the bank where I worked and I tried to get a loan and they declined me because I only had half the income that I had. Then I got pulled over and I didn't pass the, the uh, or my my. Plate, my plates were expired. I had to go get an emissions test. I went and got an emissions test. I failed it. I went to the Kurz Automotive and they gave me a $600 bill. And it was just like, you understand that thing. I'm, that's not on the Kurz. I love the Kurz. <laughs> but, but I was expecting things to get better. And then in there, my, my wife is saying, I really would like my Ellie to have pictures and she needs new clothes and, and, and it was just like all of these things and, and in my own manliness and pride I was thinking God I have no idea how this is going to work out and in one week one week I remember the day grandma came home with two boxes of diapers and said they're on sale so I bought them for you and I didn't tell her we needed diapers the next day one of my sisters said I feel like a bad aunt so I took Ellie today and I bought her a whole bunch of winter clothes. The next day, my other sister said, I, I feel like I wanted to just surprise you and so we went and got Ellie Christmas pictures. The next day, mom and dad called. No one knew what was going on. I, I, I was too proud to let them know what was going on. Next day, mom and dad called and said, hey, hey, listen, um, we heard your car was at Kerr's and we were just talking. We want to pay it for you. Let us know what the bill is. The next day, Don called me and said, hey, hey, what are you going to do about that furnace? And I said, I'm going to get a loan. I, I, I couldn't tell him that I already been declining. He said, don't get a loan. I'll just lend you the money. Pay me back when you can. Three months to the day, I was at a table and a check was slid across for 13 times the amount we gave. Pressed down, shaken together. And I can tell you story after story like that in just my life, that when I've given to God, not, not saying, I want you to give back in return, but just saying, you've been so good to me. It's not mine anyways. It's yours. So what you want from me, just take it. 
because it belongs to you. Why don't you stand with me? I want this to be a spiritual moment. They're going to put some baskets here on the front. And I, I wanted to close with reading this passage of Scripture. Paul, writing to the church of Corinth, said this in 2 Corinthians 9 and 7. He said, You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And so here's what I would ask today. That as you look at your time, that as you look at your talent, as you look at your treasure, would you decide how much you're willing to give to God? Don't, don't give it in response to, I'm not up here pressuring you. If you don't give today, I'm not calling you up and saying, what, what you, if you, I, no, that's not how this works. But, but would you give it with a cheerful heart? The saddest thing that could happen today or, or this upcoming year is that we reluctantly or begrudgingly give to God. You see, I don't, I don't have to come to church. I get to come to church. I don't have to give my life to God. I, I, I willingly give my life to God. I don't, I don't have to give my talent. I, I cheerfully give myself to him and I lay daily on the altar and I present my body a living sacrifice and I don't have to give my finances. I gladly give it. You, you see, it's my desire to see his kingdom come and his will be done. And I've realized that, that what is in my hand can only go so far. But when I put it in his hands, he can do so much more with it. So I, I willingly put my time and my talent and my, I don't, I don't begrudgingly, I don't want you to begrudgingly, I don't want you to, to hold back. No, I want you to say, in his hands, it will go so much further. And so God, I give it to you. So here's what I want to do. They're going to sing a song here in a minute. And I want to pray with you and I want you just to, to search your heart and whether you're going to give you can complete the, the, the pledge card and drop it in this basket but whether you're going to give today or not I want after I'm done spend a couple minutes in your seat and would you come down to this altar and, and would you just would you just pray the same prayer with me God I want to give you all what if there's areas of my life where I've not been principled if I've if I've been more possessive if I've been thinking that it's all mine. Help me to get this back into alignment. Could you do that with me today? Let's pray. Jesus, I, I thank you, Lord, for everything that you have done. Lord, I don't want this moment to be emotional, but I want it to be spiritual. I, I want us to be a congregation, a, a church that, that our desire is to follow the leading and the guiding of your voice. God, I know my words can only go so far, but Lord, your words, they go further. God, you, you see the bigger picture. Lord, you're not, you're not obligated by natural laws, but Lord, you, you do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. You own the cattle on the thousand hills. You see the beginning from the end. And so I pray that, that across this sanctuary that as people are at home and online, as people may rewatch this, God, help each of us to 
willingly present ourselves, our time, our talent, our treasure, a living sacrifice. Let it be holy. Let it be acceptable unto you, Jesus. Lord, my life, our life, is not our own. Lord, we've been bought with a price. So, Lord, if that means today you're asking more of us, more commitment, more of our time, Lord, help us to be willing to give it. Lord, if you're, if you're saying to us today, I've put talents inside of you, but you're sitting on them. God, would you help us to be willing to, to give our talents back to you? Lord, if you're saying, I, I've put a number in your head and you're, you're disregarding it, I want you to give it. Lord, help us today across the spectrum, across the sanctuary. I pray that we would be obedient to you, Jesus. In the matchless and the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. In Jesus' name. I invite you when you're ready to come down to this place. You can drop the pledge cards in the basket here. But more important than that, would you take some time to, to spend with God and to hear his heart and to hear what he would ask of you today.